I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On part two of our interview with Michael O'Donovan and Tomás Tuberit, they take us through the receding process step by step. Firstly, Michael explains where to start the process. Well, the first thing you start is highlighting the paddock that you want to take out, you know. Um, that's that's that, and, and that has to be done, you know. And some farmers are very good at that because they're measuring and some farmers are not so good at it. But ultimately, that's the first process, you know. Um, and obviously, in the grazing platform, all the paddocks close to the parlour should be productive, you know. Um, I know some guys keep them as lame cow paddocks and all that, but, you know, the, par- the, 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 the grazing platform paddocks, especially close to the parlour, you know, they should be all... Highly productive paddocks. Um, so then you know once you once you once you uh, you know have the paddock that 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 you want to receive in your head, you know it's when you're going to do it. And obviously then, um, you know, are you, once 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 you've made that choice, you're going to spray it off, uh, round up. Are you going to use farmy, farmyard manure like here in Moor Park? Um, our farm manager John Paul Murphy will will always use the spring reseed to take out the, the farmyard manure from, from the cow sheds and the calf moxes and, and we'll use that as to build up organic matter in, in those like we use it as, as a way of building organic matter in the soils and now our soil organic matter which is you know the higher the organic matter it's important for us is the higher the organic matter of the soil the, the more soil nitrogen it is releasing and you know that's important for us once we have high pH there so you're, you're looking at the Get the farmyard manure out in it, and then you know the, what what is the what is the technique that you're going to use then to receive. And and we'll we'll take it up with with you there, Tomas. You know what are the main methods we're using in Ireland, and are some favourable over others? Yeah, so we have ploughing. You would disc, or you could try stitching it in. Um, each method has been shown, creating the study in this as well, where there's no difference in the establishment of whatever method you use. Uh, as long as the method is done uh, correctly. So it's just after that then it's preference. So um, you might be, if the land hasn't been tilled in a while, you might be inclined to plough because you just end up picking stones. Some people just might rather a completely new seed bed with less trash on them. So they might like to plough, but they're just going to open themselves up for stones. People who no time for stones, they'll opt to disc. So they'll disc it one way and then disc it the second time at a different angle. Then... Um, Hopefully a lot of the surface trash will be broken up by the discs, then go into the one-pass system and so, and you should have a fine uh, reseed there as well. Michael mentioned there that there's a 60-day turnaround, um, you know, for reseeding. Does that vary across methods? Will ploughing lead to a longer um, turnaround time? No, it'll be more down to the actual management of the reseeding and the weather that you get thereafter. So um, the ploughing now might be a bit more susceptible grazing later on it might be a bit more inclined to be poached as there's new fresher soil been brought up but generally turnaround time wouldn't be so different and back to you Michael I mean talking about soil fertility um, say for argument's sake I'm doing a soil test once every three years so I'm in year three of that cycle I have probably a low indication of what the soil fertility is in a particular paddock you know what should I do there Ideally, ideally, when you invert the soil, you should take a soil test, you know, because historical soil tests are what they are, historical, you know, and ultimately in a new reseed, you, 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 you're inverting soil 
uh, especially when you're plowing, you know, when you plow, that's when you do the soil test and, you know, go to the tagus office, get borrowed a soil sampler and, and do a soil test if you're plowing. Minimal cultivation is a bit more straightforward. Uh, you know, you're, you're up in the top four inches of the soil, so, you know, the soil test there, you know, you, you should still really be doing a soil test, you know, on your new reseeds because we see now, uh, looking at soil tests, I was looking at soil tests last night, a pile of dairy farms are, are low in K and, you know, a new reseed will suffer with low P and low K and low pH. So, you know, obviously when you're spending 700 euro or 750 euro a hectare, you want to give these swords as much of a, of a chance as, 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 as you possibly can to, you know, to produce and perform and get to their potential, you know. And I suppose, right, um, not ignoring that advice, but, you know, we have farmers and they're not going to do that. Um, what is the standard um, fertilizer plan for a reseed? Well, you know, you're probably looking at probably three to four bags of 10, 10, 20. That's just that that is the standard. That is the standard uh, application rate at, at receding. So like some of will use can and then they'll fill up with all 730. Um, I wouldn't be mad for putting slurry out in reseeds. Sometimes slurry can get, um, it can go out excessive. And the next thing you can, it leads to caking of the soil, uh, which, you know, we've seen some ponding on farms with that. So if you're putting out slurry, it does need to go out quite light. Um and then in terms of lime, is there a role for lime at receding? Well, there, there, there probably is, you know, and obviously when the soil is, you know, when you have open soil that, you know, you're getting, you know, lime to soil contact early and, you know, you're getting a better breakdown of, of, of lime when, when you have cultivated soil. So obviously, you know, that process of increasing pH will be helped when you have cultivated soil. So, yeah, um, you know, the standard two tonne of lime is, is probably a lot, you know, we've seen huge huge efforts uh, that we have to compliment farmers for as regards you know lifting ph of soils uh, but yeah uh, when you're receding it's probably time to you know it's time to it's time to look at the the, the the ph of the soil like the one thing i'd say when receding is you know the process is fine but a lot of fellas actually um underestimate the use of rolling in receipts you know um you know if a reseed isn't rolled uh we see it getting very very loose uh if it gets loose tillers start being pulled and in many cases we, we see sods being pulled out of swords that haven't been rolled so you know rolling is is one of the crucial things it's a very simple thing but it's a very important aspect of you know getting seed to soil contact down in that lower layer but also you know making sure that a, a reseed doesn't get you know desiccated from you know if it gets dry after you know, you've seen many, many reseeds last um, in the, in the in the early part of the drought last year. Those ones that were well rolled, you know, they germinated and they came through. So, like rolling, we can't underestimate the importance of it. And like th- Thomas spoke about, you know, uh, uh, um, what you call it, um, s- seed bed, the seed bed and the seed bed establishment. If the seed bed is fluffy, the seed goes down through. You're gonna lose tillers. You're not gonna get their establishment. If the seed, the seed bit has to be so fine and firm, and we use we use a we use a, I suppose our, our mantra is if you can cycle across it and the the front wheel of the bike is just indented on the the reseed, well that's firm. If it's if it's going through it and it's it's like butter, uh, well then your your seed bit is is is, is too uh, is too uh, fluffy, and like some guys like it too fluffy, the seed doesn't like it too fluffy. It has to be firm. After sowing a very fluffy seed bed, very heavy shower rain, it'll start to cake on top and that could impede the actual varieties coming up out of the soil as well. So yeah, firm and fine is the way to go. 
And moving on then, I suppose, to your particular area of expertise, Tomas, um, the selection of a suitable seed for your firm. Yeah. So the main question you need to ask yourself is what the field is going to be used for. So on your milking platform, it's going to be predominantly grazed. You will select varieties good grazing crates if they're if it's on an out farm it's going to be used for silage uh, you're going to select for silage traits and um, if you have mix you'll select for maybe high quality and with silage traits so Chagas have developed a pasture profit index and we have evaluated the varieties based on these individual traits for the varieties uh, the traits are spring growth summer growth and autumn growth that's dry matter we have a quality index we have a silage index and we have a persistency index the persistency index uh, just refers to how long the variety is expected to last within, uh, for the f- within the field. So most varieties are expected to last twelve years. Uh, figures with minus figures. So there's a, we have a minus five and a minus eleven. So the minus five will last probably eleven and a half, and the minus level will last eleven years. So not much difference really in there, especially if you're receiving ten percent of your uh, platform every year. So then, what we're look uh, each variety is ranked in a monetary term. But uh, so it's just the higher the value, the better that variety is performed for that trait. Um, so if we're going to pick for a grazing, um, for on the grazing platform, you want a variety with high quality because this will encourage animals to graze it later into the mid-season and uh, maintain milk yields. And we also would like a good um, seasonal growth rate, so good spring growth and good autumn growth. Uh, we'd also be looking at the heading date when we're sowing these, so we would like them um, to have kind of maybe three to four to five uh, days between their heading dates. And then what my research is has been focused on is looking at grazing as an actual trait between varieties. So we're calling this grazing efficiency. And what we're finding is that tetraploids uh, are, f- are generally better grazed by um, dairy cows relative to diploids. And we're after finding the reason for this is kind of a greater leaf area. Greater leaf area within the sward and also greater levels of uh, OMD. So this is related to better graze out. And we're also finding that the the more open growth structure of these tetraploids is more conducive to grazing by um, by animals as such. So then if you're going to be choosing for your silage swords, what you'll be focusing on is the silage index within the PPI. So each variety is the higher the value for silage, the more suited that variety is to um, for a silage system. So you'd be looking at varieties like Fintana or Meyer, varieties like that. I'd probably go with a 50-50 mix of tetraploids that they applied for a silage mix and for a grazing mix, pushing the tetraploid diploid um mixture to maybe 60% tetraploid, 40% diploid because we've had farmers on our monoculture trials who have sown 100% tetraploids within their swords and um, they find no problems with them. The cows go in, graze them, heads are down. Once it's grazed, heads are up and the cows are gone. And to pick up on a few things that you mentioned there, in terms of the good seasonal production, I mean, we can all grow grass in the summertime. And, you know, Michael made reference to you know, the farmers who are measuring regularly, we can see that they grew on average 1.4 tonne this spring versus, you know, some farmers who are growing maybe half a tonne. Um, you know, obviously, when we're selecting on the PPI, we can drive uh, spring growth and autumn growth. I- is there a much higher weighting on this, the, say, growing in spring and autumn when we compare it to the summer? Yes. So as I said, each value is a monetary value and uh, the breakdown of it, is that the spring 
um, spring grass will have a monetary value of 16 cent per kilogram grown and autumn will have 11% per kilogram grown, whereas in summer, like you said, any swar can grow in summer, uh, any kilograms of dry matter grown within um, within summer is only worth 4 cent. And also within the relative the relative breakdown of the PPI, so for each trait it's broken down, each uh, contributing more to the actual overall index, uh, spring yield is worth 15% of that, and autumn yield is worth about 10% of that, whereas mid-season yield uh, 5.5%. So just to, I suppose, re-emphasise that, you're talking 16 cent for your kilo of grass in the springtime versus 4 cent in the summer. So that spring grass is worth four times more within the index. It's really, really um, interesting. And I suppose the grazing efficiency, that's a new thing that I haven't heard of. Um, so, you know, you're just looking at the, the physical trait, I guess, of the tetraploid, more leaf. Um, it's more open, so it's easier to actually, I suppose, get through the grass um, when, when we're looking at the cow. Yeah, and so, we're hoping to put that with, into the PPI into the future and then if we just uh, I suppose another few things that you know again you'd hear when when you chat about receding um, you know I just use my co-op mix is that an opportunity lost if you're if you just say pick up whatever's sitting there or you know should you be more selective and say for argument's sake I'm looking at the PPI here should I have a mix of say my Abergain and my Aberclyde you know is there an opportunity lost where you're just picking up the bag in the co-op there is but uh, many of the co-op mixes are perfectly good and could have great varieties in them. But it's just down to the farmer to be aware of what varieties are within the mix. So uh, I know Dairy Gold mix and Kerry Coffee mix of Abergain, Aberchoice and Drumbo. And that's a very good mix. Abergain is the highest PPI um, variety on the 2019 list and Aberchoice isn't far behind. It's about fifth or sixth. So there are two very good varieties in your mix. It's just when you're getting down towards the lower end of the PPI, these varieties have probably been on the list for maybe 10, 12 years. They're getting outclassed by the newer varieties and you maybe just want to limit the amount of varieties within the mix or the proportion of that variety within the mix. Um, you'd also, as I was saying, you'd want to be looking at the type of variety for your system. So there's no point putting your silage, uh, a good silage variety like Fintana into your grazing mix. It might be high in the PPI, but it's not... It's not focused for the grazing system and therefore it won't perform to its maximum. And I suppose, um, Michael, if we consider then the... Some people are very afraid of using a monoculture and, you know, well, oh, if that doesn't work, um, you know, the whole field is gone or, you know, it's it'll be too open and there'll be nothing to kind of fill in the gaps. Um, what would you say for that kind of a comment? I think I think as, as a grass seed... Industry, we we uh, with the PPI, we have we have kind of we've come forward a long a long way in, since its in, in inception, and you know the co-ops in fairness and the in, independent merchants, they have been very um, uh, responsible in in how they've approached their mixture uh, construction, and like we see, like we are really happy that you know we we see the better varieties coming through now, and you know. 80% of the varieties or 20% of the varieties are, are probably have, have probably 80% of the market and like if you look at bull lists it's probably the same thing and like they're up the top because of their merit and you look at the on-farm study um, very much in agreement with what the PPI is saying so we're really happy with the way mixtures are constructed in Ireland and we're lucky that we have responsible co-ops and independent merchants who react to what the uh, research is, is, is saying. Uh, as regards monocultures, like we've had a lot of we've had we've 120 farms on the on the mono, on the cultivar evaluation study. We've um 
we've used that study to get the commercial phenotypic performance of varieties, and we see that you know some of those, and like it, as, as as Thomas has said, it has informed us that tetraploids are working well on farms. You know, what I would say to farmers if they wanted to go down the monoculture route, you know, you're accepting in tetraploids, you're accepting a more open sward, and you need to get used to that. Um, you know, you won't have the density that you probably are used to with uh, straight diploids are even, you know, 30, 70 mix of diploids to tetraploid. And that's a change for farmers. It's my, my, it, might, it might be a lot more appetising for his cows, and it will be, but it's a change for how you look at a sward. Um, and, you know, for us, monocultures have worked. You know, the farmers that have them have adapted their management to them. You know, you know again, if you go back to the, the, the meeting last week on John's farm, um, He's down at 16, 17 days of rotation. So you, you need to be flexible as regards how you approach this. And if, if, if you're not going to change to that, well, then some of these more productive monocultures are probably not for you. And they may cause you more trouble than, than you want. So you do have to have an approach that's going to be flexible as regards manage them. And, you know, we, we can see from the cultivar study, you know, very, very good accept acceptance of them and probably a, a move now towards a lot more usage of tetraploids and a lot more usage. And, and a drive on the breeders now, the pressure is coming on us and as breeders and as evaluators that, you know, higher quality varieties are what the system wants. Higher quality varieties, more productive and, and you know, persistency in the PPI, um, you know, you can see that there's not much difference between a lot of those varieties. So, you know, we can say that those perennial ryegrass cultivar uh, varieties in, our, in, in Ireland are pretty persistent. And Tomás, uh, the inclusion of clover in these swords, would, would it be of benefit to farmers? Yes, definitely. Um, some farmers, they're just not so fond of clover. Um, they're, they've been maybe sown in the past but at this point with spring growth and then it's the added management factor that they need just to make sure that it doesn't get too overgrown and they're dealing with bloat and stuff like that. But uh, research from Chagas has shown that the addition of clover to swords will improve milk yields. We have an eight-year study here in Moor Park. We're comparing grass only and grass clover swords and the grass clover swords do have increased uh, milk production uh, at um, reduced nitrogen rates. So therefore, it's definitely a strong consideration farmers should be making. And and finally, then, if we look to um, we we've receded the paddock, and you're saying we've a maybe a sixty day turnaround where people are doing it very well and the conditions are right, they're they're down to forty two days. When is the ideal time to go in and graze? Yeah, again, a change of tact here. Again, we we would say that you know the first grazing should take place when the cover is around seven to hundred to a thousand. And ultimately, that, that all that is is leaving uh, a herd of cows or a group of calves or a younger stock in across the paddock and just getting it grazed off. We're not leaving it to go into 2000 because if we do that, we'll get, every, every, we'll get a lot of tillers pulled out of the ground. And the other thing I would say is, <clears throat> we saw it last year, you know, in dry weather, you know, especially in the drought, we saw a lot of tillers being pulled out of the ground because, you know, you know they, the sward wasn't strong enough to to withstand that 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 pulling by by by, by the animals. So like seven to seven hundred to about a thousand in just a light grazing and sometimes that's only half a grazing you know, not even half a grazing for the herd of cows and you're off. And you can be back into that in fourteen or fifteen days for the second grazing. But that has huge implications in tilling out the sward for the for the next rotation and ultimately I suppose that's why we've we've pushed to 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 to, to, a, to a spring a spring initiative. 
you go into the autumn, you, you can get into higher masses, poor ground conditions, not as well established wards. So, you know, <clears throat> what we're trying to do is just get it tiller, get it tillered up, get the, get this ward, you know, active, growing, and uh, and I suppose into production as fast as we can. And on that spring pre-grazing at 700 or 1,000 of a cover or after? Spraying before that, you know, like we're looking at spraying when you're probably at an inch and a half of, of, of a sward, which is probably, you know, 200, 300. And like what you're really spraying for there is, and we see it, you know, time and time again. We did a survey a couple of years ago, 95% of pastures are infested by docks. The only way, the only permanent way you can control a dock is is it is it is it is at the post-emergent spray level, you know. And, you know, that, I would say, too many farmers go in too late with spray in that post-emergence time time zone. You know, seedling dock, that's the time to kill them and you can kill them cheaper than it's too late to kill them when they're established. And in fact, you won't kill them. Yeah, and I would say don't be shy about giving it a second spray if there's some seedlings coming up after that as well. Just control them from the off. Uh, John Mack yesterday had a... His method of controlling was about two to three weeks after sowing, going with another bag of can. And that will get the grass growing again. Well, grass growing, and also get the docks getting above ground as well. Then hit them with the spray, and that was one method that he used for controlling docks. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, following on to Thomas's point, sometimes you know that double spray with those. <clears throat> and like it's fair to say, where you have clover in the sward, the sprays are a little bit weaker than you know the you know the, the likes of you know pastor or or or, um, or forefront. You know they are lighter, so. Sometimes you probably have to go in with a, with a double spray to kill those seedling dogs. So, you know, people shouldn't be afraid to do that. But all again, this is all about timing, really. That's great. Thank you, guys. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Michael O'Donovan and Tomas Tobrick for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.